Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. One of the things you learn as an athlete is if you get in a game and you lose, you take a step back, you figure out, why did I lose? What do I have to fix? And then you go in and play again. That's Donna Lopiano. She knows a thing or two about bouncing back from a tough game. At 75, she spent nearly six decades immersed in competitive sport, starting with her all-star days on the softball diamond in the 50s and 60s. We had chartered buses when we went places. The bus trips were really educational. I learned how to play poker for money. And so it was a a very safe, closed environment of people who kind of loved their sport and who also spent lots of good relationship time with each other. That said, some of her toughest moments have been off the field, in the office, actually where she was one of the first women's athletic directors in the country at the University of Texas. She earned her post in 1975, which was three years after the passing of Title IX in 1972. Title IX outlawed discrimination on the basis of gender in education and opened doors for women's athletic programs. I can remember being at an an end-of-the-year meeting with the then-president of the University of Texas at Austin, Part of Donna's job at the University of Texas was to make sure the women's athletic program was adequately funded. Every year, she met with the president of the school to discuss the budget. My meeting was kind of the last meeting of the academic year because he had to approve the women's athletics budget and he had to figure out where he was going to get the money for women's athletics. I wouldn't call it a contentious meeting, but it was always a difficult meeting in that... It was a negotiation. At the time, let's just say that most universities weren't used to finding funds for women's sports. So that's what it's like. It it was never about anger. It was about, I didn't get the budget I needed this year. I've got to get it next year. How How am I going to do that? Donna was constantly pushing for better resources for the team she oversaw. In 1975, the Longhorns women's teams included volleyball, golf, tennis, swimming, and basketball. She knew she'd have to keep persisting if she wanted the playing field to be anywhere near even. And I said to him, I'm telling you, this is my bottom line. We have to have this in terms of coaches' salaries. We, We really need X, Y, and Z. I gave him all the reasons for it. And he stopped. He was silent. And he looks at me. He says... 
what are you going to do if I don't give it to you? And I was so stunned at, at him saying that. I was speechless. And right at that moment, it turned out that saying nothing was the best thing Donna could have done. Donna had out-negotiated the university president. He looks at me and he turns to the vice president and he says, give it to her. Donna would go on to have a long career as head of UT's women's athletics, fighting tooth and nail every step of the way to bear out the promise of Title IX, to give women the opportunities she never had as a gifted young athlete. Donna is a torchbearer, a true pioneer for women's sport. Even today, 50 years later, after the passage of Title IX, she continues to hold open doors for a stream of women following behind her. I'm Molly Bloom, and this is Torched, a show about the heat of competition and the cost of greatness, both on and off the Olympic stage. You've almost certainly heard of Title IX. Its passage was a watershed moment for gender equality in education, and it's most commonly linked to its impact on women's college sports. Today, there are nearly 200,000 more women in college sports than there were in 1972. In this episode, I'm looking back at the path that Donna and others like her have forged for women in athletics. And I'm looking at today's landscape, the obstacles that elite athletes still face when it comes to equal opportunity, even when they've outperformed their male counterparts, like in the case of the U.S. women's national soccer team. For women at high levels, the playing field is more even than ever, but more even isn't the same as equal. This episode, we're getting into Title IX through the lens of several women it impacted. From the athletic opportunities available to kids to the national soccer team's fight for equal pay, Title IX has led to sweeping change for women's sports, but the fight to enforce it is still far from over. Long before Donna became an advocate for Title IX, she had other aspirations. You know, I grew up on a street playing sports with boys and wanting to be a New York Yankee. But as a young girl in the 1950s, those aspirations were a tall order. Donna learned the hard way that she wouldn't be playing for the Yankees anytime soon. A father showed me the Little League rule book at that time that said no girls are allowed. And I was just absolutely devastated when I couldn't continue playing with my friends, especially since when I tried out for Little League, uh, I was drafted number one in the Stamford, Connecticut, McIlione Little League. Donna's Little League career was ripped away from her even before it began. And while she still played baseball with her friends, there were no competitive baseball leagues open to her. I just played on my street with the guys and I went to every one of their games, but there was really no baseball for me. Knowing that she adored the game, her parents began searching for other options. My parents really felt bad. I took up horseback riding. I took up swimming lessons. They brought me to the local Jewish community center pool. And so they tried to keep me occupied, but there really weren't competitive opportunities for girls at that point. They kept getting the message that the closest thing to baseball for Donna was softball. And even then, most softball leagues were corporate-sponsored leagues, recreational opportunities for industrial workers. 
But these softball, these industrial leagues, you had to be 16 in order to work. And I was too young. But Donna's parents weren't going to give up that easily. So they hunted high and low for a softball team that I could play on. And finally, something clicked. My father got a bright idea. He, his best army buddy was a scout for the Pittsburgh Pirates. But more importantly, he was best friends with a guy who was the head coach of the Ray Bestis Breakettes, the national champion women's softball team. The Breakettes were based in Stratford, Connecticut, only 30 miles away from Stamford, Connecticut, where Donna lived. Her dad invited his friends over to their family restaurant and convinced him to get Donna a tryout for the team, even though she was younger than any of the other players. My father, you know, fed him a a bottle of Chianti and a sight unseen, he agreed to take me for a tryout. Finally, Donna was going to have a shot at playing competitive softball. But when her dad's friend picked her up a week later for the tryout, he ignored her the whole drive. I think he was really concerned that I might embarrass him. He's supposed to be a, a, a scout for the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates. But as she sat in the passenger seat of his car, all she could think about was the opportunity to play. I just had my glove. I was pounding my ball in my glove. It was the most you know, exciting moment of my life. I'm going to actually try out for a team, uh, a women's softball team. I'd never played with women before. And these were older women. These were... These were 20-year-olds. These were (laughs) really old women. Softball was new for her, but so was playing sports with women. She had only ever played with the boys who lived on her block. She was wide-eyed and thrilled to play with talented, athletic women for the first time. She was on the verge of seizing her dream, playing professional ball. Finally, they arrived at the ballpark. Donna was brimming with excitement as her dad's friend, the scout, ushered her to the tryout. He introduces me to the coach, and then he goes and sits in his car, which is parked beyond the outfield fence. And I start the tryout, and he gets progressively closer to the field as he sees how good I am. So one minute he's standing at the outfield fence, and then he's right on the third baseline. And by the end of the tryout, he's sitting next to the coach in the dugout, explaining how he discovered this new prodigy. He always took credit for discovering me. (laughs) And I say, yes, Al, in the bottom of a bottle of Chianti. (laughs) Donna impressed her dad's friend. But more importantly, she impressed the Breakettes coach. I made the Breakettes when I was 16. As the youngest player on the Breakettes, Donna opened up a whole new world, not just in competing and learning from these women, but also literally traveling the world. After my first year playing ball, we had qualified for the very first World Softball Championship in Australia. And so by the age of 17, I had traveled around the world playing softball. We literally went Hawaii down to Australia and we came back the other way. She also learned a lot from her fellow players about confidence. For instance, how to make every play look intentional, even if it wasn't. It was about leaning into her strengths as a player and trusting her own talent. Donna soaked up the other women's wisdom and applied it to her own actions, both on and off the field. It may be one of the reasons she became such a successful activist. She's a formidable opponent 
someone who keeps her cards close to her chest. And even today, her reasons for becoming this kind of leader aren't just her reasons. Throughout my career, whenever I was asked to do something in terms of public speaking, I would always start with the story of how I couldn't play Little League Baseball. And invariably, at the end of my speech, I would have two or three older women come up to me and say, I wanted to be a second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Or to express a an aspiration that they probably have never talked about before. For Donna... It's the women who've never had the opportunity to participate in competitive sports, or the women who've never been encouraged to pursue their passion, who keep her heart at work. And over the decades, that work of making sure other women in sports aren't held back as athletes has been a challenging path for Donna to pave. There is a moment, and the moment is when you win a national championship and or a batting title or you do something pretty significant and you're relieved that you did what was expected of you as opposed to happy about what you did, as opposed to being excited about what you did. And that's when people should move on. Donna played for the breakouts for a decade. But eventually something changed. Playing and winning at softball just didn't feel rewarding the way it once did. When sport becomes a burden, when it's no longer that joyous thing that you do, that's the time to try something else. And that'll give you the same feelings, but with new skill sets, a new environment. So in 1975, she moved on and started a new chapter in her career, as the first director of women's athletics at the University of Texas. When I was hired at the University of Texas as the first director of women's athletics, I thought I was hired because Texas really wanted a number one women's team in the whole world. Number one. And that may not have been the case at Texas, but it was the case for us, you know, the people who built the women's athletics program. At the time, the impact of Title IX was just starting to grow. It had started off as a law focused on academics, but when the NCAA asked the Department of Education if the new protections for women applied to athletics, they said yes. Universities across the country weren't exactly ready for the change. All hell broke loose. The feeling at the time was that, oh, you're not gonna waste this education on women are gonna get pregnant and then just drop out of their professions. I mean, it was just, you know, sexism, pure and simple. Being one of the first people to run a women's athletic department, Donna had to deal with a lot of men in college sports who were not fans of Title IX. And yeah, you felt it. The, the guys were mad at you. <laughs> that, they believed that somehow intercollegiate athletics was a zero-sum game. If they gave women the chance to play, the men would lose. Daryl Royal from Texas, who was the president of the American Football Coaches Association, he was quoted in headlines across the country that Title IX and women's sports would be the death of big-time football. Donna didn't hesitate. She wanted to make every women's team at the University of Texas top 10 in the United States. So she set to work creating one of the best athletics programs in the country. And while she was making her goal a reality, other coaches began to notice. We had 
you know, eight, nine, ten thousand people at our women's basketball games. And Frank Broyles, who was the athletic director at, at Arkansas, called me one day and he said, Donna, I want to know, how do you get 10,000 people to come to a lady, ladies' basketball game? And I said, Frank, it's exactly like, you know, what you do with football. You hire the best coach that you possibly can. You make sure you pay them enough money so you could hire them. And then you give them the resources they need and scholarships and stuff like that. And then 90,000 people come to see football games. It's the same thing for women. There wasn't rocket science. It's just that the boys didn't think that people would be interested in women's sports because they weren't. And they didn't put the same effort into it that they put into opportunities for their sons. No one would agree to spend on women what they were spending on men. Equal funding. That was what Donna came back to again and again. If women's collegiate sports received the same amount of money that men's did, the rest would follow. Not just attendance at games, but also media attention and more chances for women to compete in sports at a high level. But getting that equal funding was not going to be easy. When I first went to Texas, our total athletic budget, including my salary, was $90,000. So I think I my first salary was 20, 22, something like that. The total amount of money we spent on scholarships was $10,000. That was in comparison with a men's athletic budget of about $5 million. According to Donna, the women's budget was barely cutting it. And the same went for the staff who were meant to sculpt those athletes into top performers. The, the coaches were really full-time physical education teachers at the institution, and they got maybe a $1,500 uh, check for being a coach and a relief of one less class to teach in their primary faculty position. And by the time I left, it was probably, I don't even know what it was, but I'm guessing it was three or four million, something like that. That budget would be $8.3 million in today's dollars, a far cry from the original budget. And Donna's ability to secure those funds helped push all of her teams into the top 10 nationwide. In Donna's eyes, she owed all of this to a single fact. There were only nine schools in the country that were like Texas with separate men's and women's athletic programs. And those were the most successful programs in the country. And it was clear why they were successful, because they ran their own show and they were adequately resourced. They had a chance to develop their own fundraising and relationships with people of wealth and influence who would get mad if the institution didn't treat them well. Even with those relationships in place, Donna knew that women's athletics as a whole was not getting the support it was entitled to under Title IX. So she pushed harder by mobilizing the students who wanted to play for the University of Texas. Every year that I was there, I would always have parents or other kids come in to my office and uh, say, we'd like to start a new women's team, a soccer team or a rowing team or something like that. And I had a box under my desk. I would say to them, the University of Texas has decided not to add women's teams. That is a violation of Title IX. If you're interested in doing this, 
you can submit a complaint to the Office of Rights, and I would give them that information. <laughs> or or um, you could hire a lawyer, and I had a stack of lawyers' cards in a box under my desk. And I had copies of the Title IX Investigator's Manual that the Office of Rights uses. And I would say, here's what Title IX requires. You should read this and see if, if women are being treated as well as you see men being treated. Donna's focus on Title IX gave women's sports a new platform and enabled her teams to become fierce competitors. And that raised the bar for other schools who hoped to beat them. It took persistence and courage to grow from one budget negotiation to massive national impact. Donna's impact has reverberated out to an immeasurable effect. Hundreds, probably thousands of teams, programs, and talent pipelines have been established thanks in part to her vision and principles. I spoke with just one of the many athletes who've made it to the college level thanks to Donna's efforts, a soccer star who got a plush, full ride to UNC, only to discover that the fight for equality would continue well after she graduated four years later. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Back in Donna Lopiano's era, it was likely Brianna Pinto wouldn't have been able to pursue sports at all. Today, Brianna is a professional soccer player, but she used to just be a kid playing soccer in North Carolina. I come from a soccer family. Uh, both my parents are UNC alum. My dad played soccer at University of North Carolina. My mom played softball at Carolina, and so I'm a Tar Heel through and through. It was Brianna's childhood dream to play soccer at the University of North Carolina, just like her dad. After the game, as a kid, I would wait by the fence for players to come and sign um, autographs, and I was like, I want to be one of those girls so bad. In some ways, Brianna's experience pursuing the sport she loves has been similar to Donna's. She started off playing with the boys. 
From a race and gender standpoint, it was evident that I was a minority in both categories on the soccer field. So when I was playing with the boys team, I was like one of two or three people of color and I was obviously the only girl on the team. And for me, I wanted to prove that I belonged out there and I was worthy of every opportunity that my teammates were getting. But instead of being told she couldn't play with the boys, Brianna received encouragement and support. Playing on the men's team showed her what she was made of. It contributed to um, my confidence on the field. I believed that I could do anything. I would attack the goal and I'd do it with flair and with confidence. And I think that was contagious in a way because a lot of the moms on the boys team that I was with, they were like my biggest fans. They were so um, happy to see a girl on the field beating up on the boys and just their support and The way they showed up for me and encouraged me is what helped me chase my dream. And like Donna, Brianna also had the opportunity to travel through her sport, fulfilling a lifelong dream to see the world. I've gotten to travel to 23 countries. I've played in two two youth World Cups. I've met some of my best friends I'll ever have in my lifetime. I've worked with some of the best coaches in the world. I've played on so many amazing fields and I've had fun while I've been doing all of it. Brianna kept putting in the work. And in 2018, she got a full ride to UNC on a soccer scholarship. Something that would have been unthinkable with the average women's sports budget in the 70s and the 80s to represent the university all these years later and get to interact with the fans who want to be in the position you're in. It's just so special. She knows that Title IX has had a huge impact on making these opportunities available to her. I'd say at a young age, I was pretty aware of it. I think because Carolina has done such an amazing job investing in their women's sports team, they highlighted how Title IX changed the course of women's sports for years. And I think that's so unique to Carolina and was a reason why I was so invested in Title IX because it gave me opportunities that I otherwise wouldn't have had. So I'm reaping the benefits of the hard work of so many women that came before me. Title IX has been one of the many steps elevating Brianna's own hard work and talent to make her dreams of playing for UNC a reality. And when she finally saw her dream realized, It felt as sweet as she had hoped. One of the coolest moments for me personally in my collegiate career was my first game as a Tar Heel. It was a lifelong dream of mine, again, like I said, to represent the University of North Carolina. And Anson Dorrance has created a dynasty in our program, and he's seen the growth of the women's game since its inception. And I played uh, my first game. I scored my first collegiate goal, which was a free kick that I bent to the back post. And it happened to be Anson's 1,000th win. So just to be like representing the university that I've known and loved for years, to be a part of a dynasty in women's collegiate soccer and to be a beneficiary of all the investment that comes with implementing Title IX, I, I think it was a moment that encapsul- encapsulates like what it means to be a female athlete in this generation. Beyond the ability to play for a team she loved, her experience at UNC was incredible. The stadium she played soccer in was second to none, and the locker room 
It's so cool. We had surround sound speakers so that we could blast music before the games. Our lockers were massive. We had like cleat dryers in there. We had a chandelier in our bathroom. Our video room where we did uh, film before and after games was incredible. UNC's facilities are an outlier. Bathroom chandeliers are not common. But they do show how far women's collegiate athletes have come since Title IX took effect in the 70s. And with schools like UNC setting such a high bar, what's become clear is just how many other institutions are failing to meet that bar. Last year at the NCAA March Madness basketball tournaments in Texas, photos and videos surfaced of the differences between the men's and women's weight rooms, food, and swag bags. The women's weight room consisted of a small rack of dumbbells and a stack of yoga mats. The men's weight room was huge and included power racks with Olympic bars and weights. Sedona Prince, a basketball player at the University of Oregon, took to social media to show the differences. Her account shed light on a situation that could have easily been underestimated, if not for the ability to show her followers this gap between the men's and women's resources. Now, when pictures of our weight room got released versus the men's, the NCAA came out with a statement saying that it wasn't money, it was space that was a problem. Let me show y'all something else. Here's our practice court, right? And then here's that weight room. And then here's all this extra space. If you aren't upset about this problem, then you're a part of it. The issue went viral, with fans of women's basketball expressing outrage on social media. And one of the people following that story was Donna Lopiano. After last year's Final Four, where through the, the sharing of, of videos, um, it was so obvious that men and women were unequally treated. Um, and it made Sedona Prince of the University of Oregon a heroine in terms of sharing that. Um, and I, I just think um, Congress is very unhappy with the NCAA. The NCAA is incompetent. Donna believes that the NCAA needs to step up and take responsibility when issues like this arise and go beyond just doing damage control. What's needed more than anything else is an enlightened leader of a national governance organization like the NCAA saying, in order to be a member of the NCAA, in order to participate in March Madness and the Final Four, every school in our uh, in our association has to be in compliance with Title IX, and we're going to check every three years. That's what's needed to make major uh, a major dent in the discrimination that's going on right now. Brianna Pinto also saw the posts about the disparities between men's and women's facilities at the tournament. I'm so glad that they went to social media to rally support and demand better standards. And I think it falls on the NCAA because they're the ones hosting the tournament. And if they're not providing the best resources for both their men and women, then it's evident that they don't care. And I think that's not good enough, especially when the NCAA generates millions and millions of dollars a year across all of their sports. After graduating, Brianna was ranked third overall in the 2021 National Women's Soccer League draft and then selected to play professionally for Gotham FC. Her exposure to the inconsistent funding for women's sports in college didn't prepare her for the less regulated world of the National Women's Soccer League. In her first year with Gotham FC, she got a taste of what Sedona Prince had been posting about. 
there was a stark contrast between the facilities she had at UNC versus what she had in the NWSL. And that wasn't all. My first year of professional soccer was hard. And the reason I say it was hard was because we uncovered a lot of the abuse that happens in the NWSL and just in the sport as a whole. And nine of 10 coaches uh, that were previously employed last year departed for various reasons. The abuse Brianna mentioned included occurrences of sexual misconduct, harassment, and racial profiling across the NWSL. At Gotham FC, General Manager Elise LaHue was fired for reasons that the NWSL has chosen to keep confidential. We reached out to Gotham FC and the NWSL for comment, but have not heard back at the time of this recording. It was just alarming to see how widespread the issue of abuse was across the league. Um, It made me just wary of my surroundings and just making sure that I'm mindful of my interactions with people in in positions of authority. Um, Because the hard part about being a professional is that your coaches and your uh, front office staff, they determine your livelihood. If you don't get the opportunity to play, you won't meet your performance um, bonuses. You um, will probably struggle to maintain confidence and um, you just have to fight it out every single day and make sure that you show up and give 100% of your effort. And I think um, when you're being paid below minimum wage, like I think 75% of the of the league was making $22,000 last year. That's hard. That's hard to come by. On May 18th, 2022, a year into Brianna's professional career, something momentous happened for women's soccer. After decades of unequal pay, both the women's and men's U.S. soccer team agreed to two collective bargaining agreements, or CBAs, which will ensure equal pay for the women's soccer team. It was just so incredibly exciting to have the CBA be ratified just a couple months ago. Um, They raised the minimum uh, salary to $35,000, which is such a huge improvement from $22,000 last year. And it's just so exciting to see the difference, how they're showing up for our athletes. The CBA followed a lawsuit brought against U.S. soccer more than six years ago by a group of stars from the World Cup winning U.S. women's national soccer team. They said that they had faced years of wage discrimination, making less than the men's soccer team, despite winning Olympic gold medals and world championships. The U.S. women's soccer team didn't win that lawsuit, but they set into motion a series of events which included support from the men's team players. Those players agreed to share millions of dollars of World Cup bonus money by pooling it with the smaller sums offered to winners of women's championships. Megan Rapinoe, one of the six who brought the lawsuit, was pleased with the new precedent that the CBA set. Her star status has brought media attention to conversations about equal pay for soccer players. As she relayed to a reporter for an ABC News affiliate, the CBA sets a new standard for women's soccer. 
you know, I think something that gets lost a little bit is that um, this isn't just a, a business that we're running. This is a national governing body. This is, um, you know, the, the sort of governmental body that's in charge of stewarding the sport uh, for both men and women and boys and girls and everybody in between in the country. So I think for kids growing up now, they see that at least um, in writing is sort of codified that that's going to be uh, the standard moving forward. But the effects of the CBA were not just future-facing. It had swift effects for professional soccer players like Brianna, who recently joined a new team, the North Carolina Courage, with new terms of employment. So this year, as a part of the CBA, um, clubs are required to provide housing access or a stipend for every player on their team. Right now, we're in really quality apartments. It seems like, from what I know, um, across the across the league, the housing standard has improved dramatically. I would definitely say um, we have turned a corner in such a positive way. The collective bargaining agreement was a huge win, not just for soccer players, but for all women in sports. Moves like this set a precedent that encourages FIFA to award equal prize money, regardless of gender. Better governance is just one way to balance the existing gaps in financial support. Another would be growing the fan base for women's sports. I think the next step for us is the fan attendance. The viewership is growing significantly, especially when we're on major TV providers. As we gain more viewership and more support and more fan attendance, I think our salaries are going to increase tenfold. The MLS got to where it is over the course of 30 some odd years or 25 years or so. And they continuously poured investment into the men. And I think if we continue to do the same for our women's club teams, we will see the same growth. Soccer has shaped Brianna's life in more ways than one. She's achieved her dreams of playing for UNC and playing soccer professionally. She's happy with the progress she's seen in women's soccer, but she believes that there's always more to be accomplished. She wants to use sports to encourage social justice and reimagine the role of governing bodies like FIFA and the NCAA. And for me personally, um, I want to change the world of sport in a positive way. And I've gotten to to watch um, worldwide superstars such as Serena Williams or Billie Jean King or Mia Hamm or... Um, Sue Bird or Megan Rapinoe, you know, and I've gotten to see them transform their sport because of the opportunities they were offered in college. Adherence to Title IX has come a long way over the last 50 years. But in spite of all the progress that's been made, Donna Lopiano is still wary about how much the law is being enforced. It's been 50 years since, since it went into effect, But people are very artful in uh, trying to work around the requirements of the law. So some of the unethical things that are happening right now are not adding a woman's sport based on what women are interested in, but, you know, what would be the cheapest way to get the most numbers of women to be added to your program Uh, without spending a lot of money on coaches or anything else. She knows that just because a rule exists doesn't mean it will be followed. 
she maintains that one of the most important things athletes can do is remember their rights. The lessons of history are lost with every generation unless somebody uh, does a job of educating. And um, sometimes it takes the athlete feeling discrimination uh, before they take action. Title IX has become intertwined with a host of complex gender dynamics in sport that are an ongoing part of the conversation about who has the opportunity to play and when. It's clear that the conversation must continue to evolve even more. One thing is for certain, though, without Donna and others like her, we wouldn't be having these conversations today. Debate is healthy. Engaging in the rules of play, challenging and changing them as society changes, that's necessary for growth. In times of intense discourse, we have role models to look up to who will show us the way. And at the end of the day, everyone deserves a chance to play. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Nikki Stein and Kelsey Albright. It was written by Kelsey Albright. Tori Smith is our associate producer, and Olivia Canny is our production assistant. Story editing from James Boo. Original music by James Lavino. A special thanks to Allison Cohen and Matt Eisenstadt. Next time on Torched, we're getting into the increasingly gray area of amateurism in the NCAA. I talked to my brother, Jeremy Bloom, about the tough decisions he had to make when it came to college athletics and sponsorships. The NCAA basically said, well, okay, if you want to come play football at the University of Colorado inside the NCAA, you, you can't accept a dollar of endorsement money from any of your Olympic sponsors. And, you know, that was that was a hard pull to swallow because it, what they're basically saying is like, you have to quit skiing. That's next time on Torched. Thanks for listening. As always, if you like what you hear, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. See you next time. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.